0: And now it is my pleasure to introduce a man that is committed and passionate about this teaching and this beautiful spiritual community, our spiritual leader and senior pastor. Please join me in welcoming Reverend Patrick Cameron. Talking about a revolution. I don't know how you folks didn't get up and dance to that. Man, I was in the back boogieing. Talking about a revolution and that starts here with us that's so all I'm gonna invite you we're gonna sing a song I'm gonna sing a song you can sing with me if you'd like music is just such a, a pure form of worship it opens us up It doesn't do anything to God God's just God always everywhere present all the time but what it does is it moves us into that space so I love to sing the song with you and I love to be able to do the prayer after that song such a beautiful experience so if you'd like to stand with me and do that you're welcome please stay seated if that serves you better but I'm singing either way and I stand with you this day in recognition of the one life and the one power that moves in and through and as all of life and so what I know in this moment is I open myself and invite you to open yourself to this impress of the infinite in and through and as us the beloved always available but sometimes we forget who we are and whose we are in this moment let us remember and in that choosing I know that I am shifted and changed in every good way that I stand in with the willingness of co-creation to understand whatever it is that I must grow into and become, whatever I must put down in order to be a a more complete expression of that one. Despite all my flaws and inconsistencies and gaps, whatever it may be, I say yes in this moment. I celebrate my story, my history, my past. I live in this moment, and I say yes. I forgive myself, and I forgive others, in the blessing, and I step into that divine grace of service and appreciation of the love that I am surrounded by in this moment of all the beautiful stories of your extended families of your parents and grandparents and children and grandchildren I celebrate all the stories all of their incarnation on this planet and as I live from that space I know I support each and every one in living from that place and that awareness as well and if I get that done this day for myself if I have shifted but one mind and it is my own I give thanks for that opportunity to be of service to a bigger idea. So that is why we've come together this day in celebration of life, to live it fully, to be alive, to celebrate the creativity, the music, the song, and the dance, and to be able to look out into the world. We offer our prayers to the people of Chile this day and our open hearts to the people of Chile, to the people of Haiti, to the people everywhere on this planet that are suffering in any way, shape, or form, wherever they are suffering. We support them with our unconditional love, for they are our brothers and sisters. And the inspiration of these Olympic athletes who have shown up to shine so brilliantly and brightly and despite all of the challenges and obstacles have brought a level of proficiency and excellence to who and what they are through their particular sport. It is our victory. It is our celebration. It is a celebration for this planet of a great good that we can all bless and identify with so I give thanks this day for all that and more knowing that I am a part of every good thing that unfolds on this planet because this is my knowingness my willingness their gifts are my gifts their their winning is my winning I give thanks for this knowing for this connection for this realization for all the blessings that pour themselves forth on this planet I celebrate and say yes that is for me too that is for good that is for God and that is for me with this knowing I give thanks I release these words and together we say And so it is. Thank you. Please be seated. All right. I think Martin should get back up here and do that song so we can dance. (laughs) I'm serious. we got to work that in. Beautiful. Thank you, Brown. Mr. Brown Anderson. So let me talk to you about the wind spear because I am so excited about this idea, and I have just I just know this is a wonderful thing for us. We're bringing Faith Rivera to town. She is just amazing. I'm going to get her up on the screen tomorrow or next tomorrow, no, next week. But she's an amazing, amazing woman. And I, I met her months ago, and uh, we're going to have Martin there with us, and we've got I'm going to I'm going to wheel out a new song. I'll probably be the opening act. Jordan and I are working on something that's really sweet, and so I'm excited because it's an opportunity for us to show up in this community. And be proud of what we do. And celebrate all the traditions, for we stand for the goodness of life. We stand for the highest and best possibility. And I'm proud of what we do. I'm proud of this community. Two weeks ago, I was in Denver. We had a chance to, uh, a number of us, there were 12 of us at one time from this community at that that, uh, leadership conference. And uh, yeah, and it was awesome. And uh, people were gossiping really good about us. But because there's an energy here, there's a, there's a vitality here. John Vanier said that the most potent place for healing to take place is within community of great love. And what I know about our community is we continue to expand in that love. It is unconditional love. And, and, and it's an opening. It's not a, a manipulation. It's not a doing. It's an opening. And we are that opening. We are one opening. And let's do it the best we can. And let's share, let's share our message with the world. When we were in Denver, Roger Thiel... They just completed a $17 million state-of-the-art sanctuary along with a beautiful community hall. And then their old sanctuary, which seats 900, sits in this, this triangular formation, all based on sacred geometry. And one of the things they articulated that this, this uh, particular leadership, we, we spent a day on Friday learning how they did it how they pulled it together. Great information. But the inspiration, so many good pieces, but the inspiration for me was, they said, our vision is 20 more centers like this in the next 20 years and as soon as he said that I, th- this bolt of energy went through me and I said this is for us this is for good this is for God and this is for me and so what it what what it takes then is to grow into that consciousness and so what I know is that we must take not just reading about it and talking about it but doing it and doing it means the resources the move in the feet the Building the relationships and building the consciousness that allows us to be, uh, continue to be a beacon of light. And that our legacy continues because never before on this planet has our t- teaching been more necessary. So what I know for myself is that I, my opportunity is to continue to grow and grow and grow and put down the things that no longer serve so that I can help serve that vision and that mission. And we're not obsessed by it. We're not. It's nothing we have to do. But we're going to do this. Why not do it the best we can? Why not move in that direction? William James said, My experience is what I agreed to attend to. This is metaphysics. My experience is what I agreed to attend to. Charles Fillmore, who was Catherine Ponder's teacher, in The Prospering Power of Love, today's talk is entitled Prospering Through Love. When we get in touch with the love... When we get in touch with that essence, Dr. Holmes talked about the power of spiritual mind treatment. And what gives it power and clarity, what gives it impact, is the love. We stand on two principles here, the love and the law. The law always says yes, it can do no other thing. That's why my experience is what I agree to attend to. That's why it works. What are we attending to? Charles Fillmore said this, Tell me what kind of thoughts you are, you are holding about yourself and your neighbors, and I can tell you just what you may expect in the way of health, finance, and harmony. Just by telling me what thoughts you are holding, what thoughts I'm holding, I'll tell you how you're going to work out with finances, with health, and harmony. Because you cannot trust, love and trust in God if you have hate and distrust in men. You cannot love and trust if you have hate for others. A huge part of what we do is... is, is, is ancient wisdom and ancient spiritual practice is forgiveness. David White said this, and I love David White. He was in Denver. He was in, uh, Denver. He's probably in Vancouver too, but he was in Denver most recently. David White had this, it's called Self Portrait, and he wrote this after looking at some Van Gogh paintings, and he realized the beauty and the honesty of what Van Gogh had to paint, and he was in a gallery in Amsterdam. He went back to his hotel room, and he stared in the mirror, and he wrote this. It's called Self Portrait. He said, it doesn't interest me if there's one God or many gods. Sounds like us, doesn't it? I want to know if you belong or feel abandoned, if you can know despair or concede in others. I want to know if you are prepared to live in the world with its harsh needs to change you. If you can look back with firm eyes, saying, this is where I stand. I want to know if you know how to melt into the fierce heat of living, falling forward, the center of your longing. I want to know if you are willing to live day by day with the consequence of love and the bittersweet, unwanted passion of your sure defeat. I have been told that in that fierce embrace, even the gods speak of God. David says, A real work like a real person grows and changes and surprises us, asking us constantly for recommitment. I think our teaching, I know my experience has been that every day, doesn't matter how many good deeds I did and how many good prayers and good thoughts I had the day before, I need to get up every day and commit to that. It is a day-by-day process. Sometimes it's an hour-by-hour process or process. Who are you guys rooting for tonight, by the way, in the hockey game? Yeah, I know. I tried to say a couple of weeks ago, it didn't matter. and It does. It does. The thing I love about Catherine Ponder in this book is she, she tells stories, and stories are so important. Stories, we can connect with stories, and we remember stories, and all of us have these great stories. I, I share many of my stories because I know you, I can stand up here and read the textbook to you, But you won't remember much of that. At least I won't. I'll read it and I won't remember it. But you'll remember the story. Part of what spiritual mentoring is, this has been my experience. I'm only speaking from my experience. I never speak from anybody else's experience. My experience has been that the number one thing that is crucial to to mentoring and leading well is listening. What I know about practitioner work within our community, and I watch practitioners struggle with it all the time because we want to fix. We have, we're brilliant. We're geniuses. We can fix everybody else's problems. And, and I'm exaggerating. But that's our tendency is in our humanness. Probably one of the most powerful things I did early in my ministry, I took a, a series of weekend seminars from Gerald John Polsky called Attitudinal Healing. And Attitudinal Healing is learning how to listen. Just learning how to listen. It's just sitting there. We do a bit of it. We do a bit of it. Listening. When there's deep listening in, a, in, a, in an environment of sacred trust and honoring and nurturing and compassion and commitment, my, my experience as a practitioner with people that have come to me with for prayer work is that in their sharing the story out loud to another, there's a shift and a change that takes place. It already starts. When we start to tell the truth out loud, it's powerful. And so what we we encourage practitioners to do is to ask questions. My experience has been sometimes the questions aren't even necessary. The questions are like, tell me more. And how does that make you feel? Not, have you thought about leaving this dirty bastard for the rest of your life? That's not a question. That's a statement. I'm talking about real questions, real deep inquiry. So be able to sit with that, and be open and receptive to that. But we hold that space. <clears throat> As Catherine Ponder talked about in this book, we speak to the higher, the higher ideas, the angels of that person's presence. She lists all the angels here. You can go through that if you like. If you're drawn to angels, she'll give you some great information and how to filter that. But it's really about seeing the divine in everyone. And, seeing, and, and being angels are higher thoughts. Angels simply represent higher thoughts. As far as the realms and what they are and what they do, there's qualities that we can call forth in the experience. And if angels is the vehicle that you find comfortable to do that, use them. It, It hasn't been my practice, but I know it is for many. And I say, go for it. Whatever moves you into that space, whatever spirituality is nurtured in community, the oneness with others that springs from shared vision and shared goals, shared memory and shared hope. As Ignatius of Antioch advised first century Christians, One cultivates the way of life that is spiritually by seeking out the company of saints. We're a company of saints. We're in saint school here. didn't realize that, did you? You just thought it was spiritual living. This is saint school. (laughs) We're we're in shared agreement about possibility, about what we stand for, about life. This is saint school. James Golden said that we brought James. In fact, we're going to bring James again this summer. We're bringing some amazing people to this this community. We're going to bring... Dr. Ken Gordon and and Dr. Kathy Hearns here over the next 12 months, two of the leaders that are putting our two uh, movements back into integration. Not because they need to add anything to what we're doing, but perhaps we can inspire them. Kennedy Schultz said the only thing we can ever offer one another, the only thing we can ever offer one another is inspiration. It's the only thing we have. When you are on fire with what we're about. When I left Denver, I was so excited. I was so proud of our three ministerial students that did so well. I was so proud of our leadership group. We were all there as staff ministers. We all stood together as one. We all voted at Congress with one. We all extracted information we brought back to add to the the texture and the beauty of this environment. We also shared a lot of information with people because they see what's happening here and they want to know what we're doing. And it's not one thing we're doing. We're doing many things. But all of us, I think, have that shared vision. And when you have that shared vision, it's irresistible. And when I see, when I saw it in Denver, 10,000 members? Ah, you bet. I like that idea. Who knows how many people, you don't know how many people listen to these discussions on our podcast, and we influence lives. Now, if we didn't have the resources and support to do that, we wouldn't be doing that. Right now, I want to get these doors fixed over here. I want to, here's Joseph Gabrielson. Joseph comes in a wheelchair every week. He told me, he wrote me an email on Facebook. If you send me something on Facebook, don't think I'm ignoring you. I don't know how to respond. Okay? I am not ignoring you. I am from the O generation, which means old. And I write a letter. I, write, I respond, and it shows up on my wall. I'm like, I don't want everybody seeing this. So Joseph says to me, I'm going to be a minister one day. Coming to the center is the best thing that's ever happened to me in my life. And I never forgot that. Every time I see you, I think of that, Joseph. He's in our foundations class. <clears throat> we have my friends over here. I call them Bert and Ernie. They're two doors that don't open consistently. They stick. <laughs> They're broken. They've been broken a long time. We're going to repair them. We're going to put in automatic doors and some, whoever can punch a button and they'll open. We're going to do that. So... I promise you, soon. But all those little things is part about being a good steward, and it's part about taking good care of this community. We may not be in this building much longer. Who knows? But you know what? Let's take good care of it. It's the story of the talents from Jesus, the, 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 that story of giving three three different servants the talents. One hid them and buried them. One went out and invested in them, and the other one went out and quadrupled his investment. And the master who gave them the talents said, "You." To the first one, you have done so well with what we gave you. You are such a good steward. We're going to give you even more. And to the second one said, you did a good job too, and more will be supplied to you. And the one that buried the talents because they were scared, he said, you miserable piece of shame on you, hoarding. And so what we do is we take good care of things. And so we need to do those doors. But without the support and without the consciousness, we don't do anything. We have doors that stick. And people like Joseph that want to get in here, that he doesn't need to do anything, can do that. That's how we take action in the world and do things that are practical. And to say, oh, let's not fix it, you know. It's an old building, whatever we're going to do. No, you take care of it. You take care of it. In our own lives, where can we be good stewards? Because we build trust with ourselves. We build integrity. Rather than asking why we need community, it may be more important to ask how we need others. So the gift that Joseph has brought to my life is he's realized I can be a better steward over here. Wisdom's answer to that question, the answer embodied in the spirituality of imperfection, is that human beings need each other precisely in relationships of mutuality. Mutuality involves not just give or get, nor even give and get. In relationships of mutuality, we give by getting and get by giving, recognizing that we truly gain only what we seek to give and that we are able to give only that which we are seeking to gain. What? What? I'll make a copy of it for you. I'll read it again. In relationships of mutuality, we give by getting and get by giving. We give by getting and we get by giving. Recognizing that we truly gain only what we seek to give and that we are able to give only that which we are seeking to gain it's paradoxical it doesn't seem we want to hold things give it all away because what's ours is going to come back to us anyway but that's the highest form of faith in this book by Catherine ponder she talks about tithing in here i'll tell you about my own experience with tithing and i thank so many of you for stepping into that practice because we'll we can take that that critical mass that continues to grow if you come to our agm this year you'll see what we're doing in our plan and it's exciting i'm i'm on fire with it because it's just beautiful and it'll be this or something greater, not because we need to hoard, but because we want to share this teaching. The world has never needed this teaching more than now. And I can feel the shift and change. Roger Thiel talked about it. And every time someone says that, I just feel this bolt of energy move through me because it is just so tangible and rich. Amy, when you asked me, I'm not trying to embarrass you, but remember when you asked me about in, in, the, in, the, in the pod class and you said, I don't know if coming here, I'm selling my soul to the devil. And I thought, what a beautiful observation. You know, what is this? Because we never talk about the devil. Because we don't believe in the devil. We're quite capable of all that nasty stuff on our own. We don't need a devil. Ernest, (laughs) we are. We are. When we live from that darkness, we're capable of all of it. See, that is part of the the imperfection. We had this great discussion. Amy brought this great discussion to our past the Discovery class. And we talked about the perfection of life. And what I was attempting to share in a brief moment there was... We all have imperfections. We all have gaps. We all have character flaws. We all have deficits. We all have things we don't see. We all have blind spots. And that is part of the perfection of our imperfection because those are the things that allow us to have the experiences that can either bring us to a deeper spiritual understanding and a deeper expression of spiritual understanding or we can spin off in it. And we can live in the addiction, we can live in the lack, we can live in the limitation, I'm not good enough. One of the the eight de- deadly sins is vain glory. One of the traps we can fall into with our teaching is vainglory. The idea that I'm not good enough. I'm not good enough. I'm not good enough. I'm not good enough. And then all of a sudden we, we latch on to an affirmation. And all of a sudden we live in the fantasy that we're better than everyone else. We're better than everyone else. I'm, I'm a perfect, whole, and complete. I'm perfect, whole, and complete. That's not the perfection I'm talking about. What we have today is this day to live in. We have skills and gifts and spiritual talents to live in this day. And our stories are important. To be able to listen to one another's stories is so important. I want to share a a story I came across this week that I I just love. There's a a famous rabbi by the name of Baal, B-A-A-L, Shem Tov. It comes from, and he was an actual historical figure. He lived in the late, early 1700s. He was born on the Polish-Russian border. And a lot of the mystical teaching from the, from the um, Kabbalah of the Jewish tradition, many of his stories are teaching stories. So one day the Baal Shem Tov was dying. And he called together his disciples and he assigned each one of them a task to carry on in his name. To continue his work. And when he finished, he still had one more task. And so he called the last disciple and he gave him the responsibility to go all over Europe and retell stories about the master. The disciple was very disappointed. You ever gotten an assignment that you don't like? And this guy's been given a job he doesn't want to do. But the Baal Shem Tov told him that he would not have to do this forever. He would receive a sign when he should stop, and then he could live out the rest of his life in ease. So there was an end in sight. So after the Baal Shem Tov died, the disciple set off and for days and months and turned into years and years of telling stories until he felt he had told them in every part of the world. And then he heard of a man in Italy, a nobleman, in fact, who would pay a a gold ducat for each story. So the disciple made his way to Italy, to the nobleman's castle. And when he arrived, however, he discovered to his absolute horror that he had forgotten all of the Baal Shem Tov stories. Couldn't remember any of them. He couldn't remember a single one. He was mortified, but the nobleman was kind and urged him to stay a few days anyway in the hopes that he would eventually remember something. But the next day and again, the next, he remembered nothing. And finally, on the fourth day, the disciple protested that he must go. And it was just out of sheer sure embarrassment he had to go. And he was about to leave. Indeed, as he was walking down the path leading from the, the nobleman's castle, suddenly he remembered one story. It wasn't much of a story, but at least it could prove that he was not a, a charlatan, that he indeed did know the Baal Shem Tov. For he was the only disciple there with this story, when this story took place. So clinging to his memory of the story thread, he made his way back to the castle, and as soon as he was shown into the nobleman's presence, this is the story the disciple began to pour out. Once the Baal Shem Tov told him to harness the horses so that they could take a trip to Turkey, where at this time of year, the streets were decorated for the Christians' Easter festival. The disciple was upset. It was well known that Jews were not safe in that part of Turkey during the Christian Holy Week and Easter. They were fair game for Christians shouting, God killer. And in fact, in the very region to which the Baal Shem Tov proposed to go, it was the custom during the Easter festival each year to kill one Jew in reparation. That's a true story. Isn't it interesting? The the model and the message of this beautiful avatar from Nazareth, love thy neighbor, turn the other cheek, forgive seven times 70, but the legacy gets passed down. We need retribution. It's interesting, the whole the way we take a little bit of information and we can skew it. That's why it's important to pay attention in our lives all the time and to do our own thinking, not to set, accept the legacy of anyone, myself included. Some of this works for you, take it and use it. If not, put it aside. Discover your own truth for yourself, and that requires paying attention. Still, the Baal Shem Tov insisted, and so they went. They went into the city and they made their way into the Jewish quarter where the Jews were all huddled together indoors behind closed shutters out of fear. Thus secluded, they awaited the end of the festival. When they got out into the streets again in safety, uh, when the festival was over, they could go back out in the streets again in safety. Imagine then how startled they were when the Baal Shem Tov, on being shown into the room where they were gathered, strode over to the shutters, threw them open and stood there in full view just as the procession was entering the town square. Looking through the window, we saw the bishop leading the procession. The bishop was arrayed like a prince with gold vestments, silver mitre, and a diamond-studded staff. And turning to the disciple, the Baal Shem tove said, "Go tell the bishop I want to see him." Was he out of his mind? Did he want to die? Did he want me to die? The the, the disciple remembered wondering, but nothing could deter this order. So the disciple went into the square, and making his way through the crowd, came around behind the bishop, just just as he was about to mount the platform to begin his sermon. More gesturing than speaking with words, the disciple hoarsely whispered to the bishop that the Baal Shem Tov wanted to see him. The bishop seemed agitated and hesitated for a moment. But after his sermon, he came, and he and the Baal Shem Tov Immediate, went immediately into a back room where they were secluded together for three hours. Then as the master came out and without saying anything else, told the disciple that, <clears throat> that they were ready to go back home. So th- this was the end of the story for the disciple. He told the nobleman the story. He says, I'm sorry, there's not a better ending. And he's, he's, uh, as he was apologizing the nobleman for its insignificance, for its lack of point, when he suddenly noticed that the enormous impact of the story had had on the nobleman. He had dissolved into tears, and finally, when he could speak, he said, Oh, disciple, your story has just saved my soul. You see, I was there that day. I was that bishop. I had, descended for a long time. I, I had descended from a long line of distinguished rabbis, but one day during a period of great persecution, I had abandoned the faith and converted to Christianity. The Christians, of course, were so pleased that in time they even made me a bishop. And I had accepted everything, even went along with the killing of the Jews each year until that one year. The night before the festival, I had a terrible dream of the day of judgment and the danger to my soul. And so when you came the very next day with a message from the Baal Shem Tov, I knew that I had to go to him. For three hours, he and I talked. He told me that there might still be hope for my soul. He told me to sell my goods and retire on what was left and live a life of good deeds and holiness there might still be hope. And his last words to me were this. When a man comes to you and tells you your own story, you will know that your sins are forgiven. So I have been asking everyone I knew from stories from the Baal Shem Tov, and I recognized you immediately when you came, and I was happy. But when I saw that all the stories had been taken from you, I recognized God's judgment. And yet now that you have remembered one story, my story, and I know now that the Baal Shem Tov has interceded on my behalf and that God has forgiven me. When a man comes to you and tells you your own story, you know that your sins are forgiven. And when you are forgiven, you are healed. So the way we filter this idea of sin is mistake. We, what happens for us is we can fall into bad thinking. Our whole journey with this tradition is to, to revamp and to revitalize our thinking in a way. Successful people find more interesting things to think about. And so this idea that we can fall into these, these traps of bad thinking about ourselves, and so we have stories. As practitioners, my experience as a practitioner is people come and tell me their story. And I, li- I get to listen to that story. And as they speak the truth, as they speak the truth, there's a shift and change that goes on for them. But it is in that sacred covenant of coming together and being able to share. That's why the, the, the path of practitioner is so vital and important. And why it's so important to be able to listen with unconditional love. Now you don't have to be a practitioner to do that. But it, I think it is the cornerstone of what we do here. We can share, we can listen to the story. Now the story is that experience. And the story is alive for us because we're still attached to it in some way, shape, or form. One of the the seven deadly sins, if we want to use that language, is to to continue to wallow in the idea of what should have been, what should have been or could have been. What should have been or could have been was right and perfect, despite its inconsistencies, despite the pain and the the suffering that went along with it or the disappointment or whatever it may be. Whatever it may be in our lives is right and perfect. You see that with a 12-step program. If you enter a 12-step program, you have a sponsor you do a fifth step I've done many many fifth steps with people and all I get to do is witness their story I don't remember any of them but it's very important in the moment to be present with them because their story is a story but it's not the truth of who and what they are it's what Catherine Ponder talks about in this book it is seeing the divine the, the, the divine essence in the individual as they share the story it's powerful 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 stuff to be able to sit with one another I think we have our Toastmasters group going. I'm hoping they're telling their own stories to be able to be witnessed by another person. See, we don't have to fix each other. There's nothing to fix anyway. I don't know any of this. The more I'm into it, the more I move along with this, I know less and less. But what I do know is I stand, I practice the highest form of faith. My experience has been, I was leaving Friday night, Laura and I were going to a function. And I forgot my cell phone. And so we have a deck in the back that I have kept beautifully clean all year. We have been shoveling diligently. We finally got it figured out. that As soon as snow starts falling, we shovel. And we've done an excellent job. And so this is a pristine, it's a, it's a uh, composite deck. It's, it's plastic, basically. Beautiful, and it's all clean. Well, I, I ran up the steps and I caught my foot. And it's about a 12 foot from the step to the back door. And so all of a sudden, I started to fall forward. And as I'm falling forward and I'm stumbling along, trying to catch myself, I realize, well, you know, gravity eventually will pull me down. But much to my surprise, I just kept stumbling and gaining speed and gaining speed and gaining speed. And before I knew it, I pile-drived my head into the middle of the base of the door. And I thought, hmm... I think I just broke my back and Laura had already gone out to the cart and I sort of feebly yelled, Laura and she came and there I was laying in a heap and I was looking up I was concerned because I just put this door in and thank God I did because it's 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 clad so it's got some give the old wooden door I probably wouldn't be with you today and she said what are you doing I said, well, I just ran my head into this door. (laughs) It's amazing how I've gotten stiffer and stiffer as time has gone by. But I realized that, that, you know, sometimes we just slip and fall. That's all it is. But it reminded me so much of the humility of spiritual practice in that Part of pride, and pride can get very much involved with what we do, is that you know I, I'm the thinker that thinks the thought that creates the thing, and we really are. I mean, what, my experience is what I agree to attend to, and yet we're in co-creation. We're not in this alone. When I talk to you about a bigger vision of what the possibilities are for community, that's my my vision. That's alive for me, and I get excited about that because I'm a builder. I love building stuff. I love fixing stuff up. This platform's been changed four times. i built four or five of those sound booths up and down. Every time we get a new sound guy, I've got to move the sound booth for him. All that stuff. But, I mean, I, that's just part of what I am. I'm a builder, and I, and I love to be able to create. But, but whatever the, the consciousness required to grow into that in a different way, in a bigger way, I'm open to that. I'm available to that. But I'm in co-creation. I don't feel any pressure to do it. If we're, not, if we're not doing what we're doing well, if this is not an environment of unconditional love, if we can't train practitioners and ministers to simply witness the story and to help support somebody into a bigger idea, which is powerful stuff. So don't look... If you're working with a practitioner, don't make them your buddy and pal. You can't hang out with them. You just can't. It's not a healthy environment. It's just the same thing as working with a psychiatrist or a psychologist or a therapist. You don't have lunch with them once a week. They don't want you. Don't have that relationship with them, but you want that. You want that practitioner so clear about what it is to know for you. Where two or more in agreement is done, but we don't hang on forever. We got to let it go. That's why we release the treatment. We surrender the treatment in gratitude. We surrender it because we've let it go. Because we know that we're so clear about it, or our practitioner is so clear about it. There's no doubt. That's the practitioner I want. No doubt. Whatever I must grow into to have this next experience, I want this knowing. Please know this for me. Thank you so much. And that's the clarity to stand in. It sounds so simple. But we've got to be willing to show up and tell the truth about where we are. You know, if our pattern has been addiction, what I know about addiction is, what what addicts want is they want not only this present moment, but they want their future right now too. They want the present moment and the future all at once which is the thinking of a nine-year-old child. It just is. But, and I don't say this to you because you're thinking that way, but I see it myself. When I start to obsess on the future, when I start to want more and more and more in my life, I go, there I go. But see, I have enough spiritual practice and clarity in my own thinking to say, I'm not going there anymore. That's, that's, that thinking doesn't get me there. What I want to do is nurture the idea, and I want to build it at the level of consciousness, the mental equivalent, and I want to release it if it's right and perfect for us to serve this greater community with a with a model that looks like Denver with world-class music and touching lives millions of people making millions of people performing miracles with ease if that's what we're called to do we'll do it and I'm willing to step up and do whatever it takes to, to, to grow into that consciousness but that idea will move me forward into something else so it may be sure defeat for me to extend love in the world that way but if I'm attached to that that end result I start to obsess doesn't have to be that it'll be this or something better Ernest Holmes said well I don't know but something within me does know because he understood he was in co-creation and it'll be this or something better you know there's a story about a man he, 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 made, he made a secret he was in love with this woman and he, he went to the, the magician he said I need a love potion I want this woman to fall madly in love with me and so he mixed up the special potion gave it to the man and he snuck it into her drink one day and she fell madly in love with him. And they got married. And for the rest of the relationship, the man obsessed. He obsessed. Because he didn't truly believe she loved him. He had manipulated it. He got exactly what he wanted. But he didn't get the relationship. And he never trusted the relationship because he had fabricated the relationship with the love potion. If we can control it all the way through, the miracles can't show up. The wonder of it, the awe of it can't show up. You know, the, the brilliance and the genius that is seeking expression. And it's the inherent genius. We just need to live in that highest form of faith. Catherine Ponder talks about it in her book. She brings up tithing. She brings up this idea of giving one-tenth to where we are sped spiritually. Laura and I we never would have made the journey here if we had not been practicing tithing. Because I'll tell you what tithing does in your life. And tithing is taking 10% gross. People always say, is that gross or (laughs) net?" Gross. And giving it wherever you are spiritually fed. And the purpose of that is it builds faith. And you set yourself in the flow of that divine rhythm of prosperity and abundance. And you decide where your good is going to be shared. Because you want that to be sustainable. You want that to go on and on and on. I do. But if we had not practiced that years prior to coming here, we never would have made this leap to be here with you. Never had the faith to disappoint the boys in our lives that we love because they didn't want to come here. I could have Max get up right now and do a testimonial. (laughs) But we just knew, Laura and I knew we were called to this. When we came here, I said, you know what? This is a community of saints that I want to hang out with. This is saint school. You didn't know that. It's saint school. It's filtering. It's filtering. It doesn't mean we don't lose. We have the imperfections. We just don't have to dwell on them anymore. There's something more interesting to focus on. It's, as Dr. Kennedy Schultz said, it's one good mind and one good heart that does one good act moment by moment by moment, day by day. One good mind. Tell them I'll call them back in a little bit. One good heart. Doing one good act. Every day. Every day I forget who I am and whose I am. But what I get to do is I get to remind myself sooner rather than later. That's a beautiful thing we have. Beautiful teaching. And so meet it wherever you are with whatever's going on in your life. Your addictions whether they be destructive or positive, wherever you are in your journey, all of that has been divinely ordained, yours and yours alone, to master or not. I know this is true. All of those things have been gifts in our lives because we're here to have this human experience so we can grow beyond it. Otherwise it'd be boring. Llewellyn Von Lee, a Sufi mystic. Laura and I spent a couple summers going to his retreats. Wonderful man. Great writer. And Llewellyn, they always ask, well, Llewellyn, about heaven. And supposedly Llewellyn knew. but he'd say, oh, you know, heaven, yeah, there's a heaven. It's kind of boring there. You don't do much. You just hang out. Uh, isn't that interesting? Why do we incarnate? Why do we have these challenges? Why do we get our hearts broken so they can be broken open? We're here to serve this bigger idea. We're here to live from that source. We are practical mystics. That's the bottom line. And in, in that mysticism, it means mystery. To live in the mystery and know, you know what? So I'm going to extend my love today. And if I get disappointed, I get my heart broke. It just means my heart's open, more open. But that's spiritual practice, that's spiritual knowing. When disappointment shows up, of course we mourn and we suffer. When we lose loved ones and they make their transition. Last week I talked about loss. Part of the reason that we don't tell the truth and tell it quickly is we've had so much loss in our lives. We don't want to remember it. But to be able to sit down with someone and tell their story and hear your story, every time I've done practitioner work with somebody, without a doubt they're telling me my story again and the great thing is because I had such great practitioner work done for me I can step up as practitioner in their lives and say I hear you that's tough stuff it's tough to lose a loved one it's tough you had a dreams laid out for yourself and you and you've met defeat with that and you know why because there's something bigger that wants to happen there's something grander it is grace it is prayer it is meditation it is service it is education it is celebration circulation all of those pillars we talk about, it's not one thing. Some days I need to read more. Some days I need to be more quiet. Some days I de- need, need deep rest. Bless you. I had a cold all week. Usually what I used to do when I get a cold is I would, take the, the, I would mask it for a month and a half. When I had my construction business, there were no days off. So that's the consciousness I was in. I couldn't miss a heartbeat or I was one payment behind. So I would take NyQuil, morning, noon, and night. I'd buy it in the case's and take it and mask the symptoms and mask it. And I could have a cold for 6-8 weeks so this week I slept I slept, I slept, I slept, I slept too much because when I went to go out the back door I, I fell and I drive myself into the door but I thought you know what, I'm just getting well I just want to get well How, I got a new idea, Pat what if we just take time off and get well wow, what a novel idea but I had to rearrange my thinking to do that So it's really our choice each and every day, how we choose to use these tools in our lives. It's not to deny, it's not to to go from I'm not worthy and I'm not good enough to I'm the the best thing since sliced bread. It's to just be real and honest with ourselves, to make the conversation real and to step up and allow the grace and the support and the love that is so immediately available. And if we can't get there on our own, get somebody to help us. If you're in a 12-step program, talk to your sponsor if you're in this community and you're drawn to a practitioner let that practitioner guide you and support you it's such a beautiful powerful tool in your life you have a great practitioner in your life you can move through this. you want to get on the fast track get with a good practitioner somebody that's clear tell them your story tell it once or twice you tell it three times and they accept it you're going to have to fire your practitioner and find one that won't listen to it more than twice I always tell people you tell me the story three times I'm done because the story's the story's the story and I honor it and I'm so glad you're telling me but there's something missing. The most frustrating thing for me when I'm a, in working with people is when they won't tell me the story. They want to sit down and tell me how great life is. I'm just here because life is so sweet and I'm just so happy to be with you. And underneath and as their eyes glaze over you can see just see the sorrow welling up and they won't go there. Oh man. And you're just longing for that story so they can, you can hear your story again. I say, I hear you, man, and, I, I'm, and I'm crying with you and I'm sobbing with you, but this isn't the truth of your being. That's just a fact. It takes courage to do that. And maybe I didn't establish the trust in some of those cases. Maybe I didn't make it sacred enough. Whatever it was in me, I take ownership of that. And I just say, you know, it couldn't happen. But I wasn't going to sit there and listen to the same thing over and over again. Why are you here if everything's great? Because that's that, that's that other side of pride where everything's a fantasy, living in the future. What's today? What's real today? What's the next step? What's the next right thing to know for each and every one of us? That's making the conversation real and using this as practical mystics and understand our humanity is calling us to a bigger idea. That's beautiful, powerful stuff. And so I celebrate it with you. What story is being long to told? What is the story that you're carrying with you that no longer serves you? Are you wallowing in the past of what could have been or should have been? Or are you in fantasy about the future? Or are you not good enough still? Because they're all just stories and they're not an important and effective use of our mental energy my experience is what I agreed to attend to my experience is what I agreed to attend to so what are you and I agreeing to attend to this week let this week be one of of mystery and magic let us be drawn to the right and perfect teachers the right and perfect experiences let's look out in the world when we see the people in Chile suffering we see the people in Haiti suffering we know there's war I watched a wonderful movie this week called The The Hurt Locker. It was about a guy in Iraq that was a a bomb specialist. And he was addicted to the uh, the adrenaline. Addicted to the adrenaline rush. Just a powerful, real movie. It was so touching how we can get addicted to the adrenaline rush of dismantling these bombs. They asked him how many bombs he'd, he'd undone, and he said, I've done 873. And then they show him, he goes back home and he's with his wife and his little boy, his darling little one-year-old boy. And the next scene you see him, he's back in Iraq. Because throughout the movie they show how many days he's on his rotation. It said now his new rotation, 365 days. And they see him just marching along, going back down the street to, de- to, to, to uh, uh, disconnect another bomb. But isn't it interesting what we can start to focus on and agree upon? And that becomes our experience. It's just the use of the law. It's the use of a law in a way that just seems like insanity to us. It's really about cleaning up our thinking. What's the bigger, more interesting idea here? Powerful movie. Just powerful stuff. And I love the character because he's so beautifully mirrored for me where I can become obsessive about something. We can do that. It's our choice. We've been given dominion over this. Free choice. Free will. So let's not, any of us, myself included, get stuck in that. Let us call forth the highest and the best. Let us continue to develop our skills and talents. Let's just expect the best for ourselves and for others. Let's see, the, let's see the angel of God's presence in everyone we meet this week. Let us call forth the stories that we're ready to put down and to stand in the grace and the love and the possibility. When we see our story coming into our lives, let's have the clarity and the awareness to just simply say, there I go to." And even though that has been my experience, I know that is not the truth, even though that's the facts of your life. Such a powerful gift to give one another. I am proud to stand with a room full of saints. I know that this resonates with you at some level. I know it's alive and real. So I bless you and I thank you for your sharing your light with me. And I'll do everything I can to continue to share my light with you. So it is.